Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and he's back, the official art correspondent for this podcast for a record-breaking sixth appearance. Welcome back, Pete Wells. I'm naked. Well, <laughs> Zoom and Skype with video is a wonderful thing, Pete. <laughs> what we've all learned in 2020. Yes, I've, uh, I've hidden me modesty with a thimble for you, so that's nice. <laughs> a strategically placed thimble on the placed thimble on the table. <laughs> Very nice indeed. So, Pete, we're tempting fate because, as you pointed out, we have <laughs> we have recorded podcasts on the eve of the uh, 2016 referendum and Trump's election. And as we record, it's November the first. Although this episode won't come out probably until the first week of December. And the election is almost upon us. It's going to be all right this time, though. (laughs) (laughs) Promises that. It seemed like it was going to be all right last time. uh... Third time's the charm. (laughs) Good stuff. Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you ever saw there was a um, a, a Brexit, a screen wipe special that was um, all about Brexit. And it was Charlie Brooker. And it, it reminded me of us. Um, it was him going to bed the night before the the Brexit thing when the results were coming through and everything looked like it was going to be all right. And then he got up, switched his telly on and went, my God. <laughs> and then it sort of fast forwarded a little bit to the Trump election and it was exactly the same. So, yeah, let's hope that third time's the charm. Yes, well, as you know, it's all going so well. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we might take this out if it all goes horribly wrong uh, in the American election. Oh. But <laughs> talking of America, Pete, the reason I've brought you back on is because I wanted to talk about some recent uh, new versions of the probably the best-known Judge Dredd story in America, which, of course, you did right back on episode two yes. of this podcast. Still one of the... Uh, highest number of downloads is on that episode um because we've got in front of us two new versions of this classic tale or two new collections shall i say can i start us off with a quite actually quite a slim paperback this is the judge dread essentials volume which came out on the 3rd of september you got a copy of this I have a digital copy of this. Ah, right, okay. So let me ask you first of all, because this gives us... I remember when you did America on the podcast, Pete, that you you laid out the context for us of what had gone before, what had sort of brought us to total war and the democracy movement and everything in America. And this book... It sort of helpfully puts all that context in for us because we get a number of those stories that I think you talked about. Does that help for this new edition? Definitely, yeah. I think it's it was an inspired decision. It's the reason why those Hachette books were so brilliant because you got the same there where you got um, the arcs collected beautifully where, where there were books spanning many years, decades often, but... You had them all in one handy place, and, and it, it really helped with your understanding of Dred's world and how it's changed over the years, but also to just um, reinforce that appreciation that we've all got for some of those masterful storytellers. And, and I think this book's great because it does give you that lovely context over goodness knows how many years. And I read it again today for, for this, and was just surprised at how you've got those different stories written by different authors. Um, so you'll be doing the, the credit card for this this book, I guess. Well, no, we can do that now. We've got uh, in this one stories, obviously, by John Wagner, Garth Ennis and Alan Grant, Colin McNeil, John Higgins, John M. Burns and Jeff Anderson artwork. Because we've got Letter from a Democrat, we've got Revolution... Uh, the story called Politics, is it, I think, which is the one just yep. before we get to America. Alan Grant, yeah. So a bunch of, you know, we've got some great creators in this book. And then at the end, we've got that, is it the John Burns, Garth Ennis and John Burns story, Twilight's Last Gleaming as well? Yes. 
So it's it's fabulous, just as a a kind of history of, of dread writing, I guess, because I believe um, Letter from a Democrat at the start may have been T.B. Grover, so it might right. have been John and Alan. Yes. I'm assuming he, you know. Um, the credit card says we, T.B. Grover, yeah. Well, well, there we go. So that's interesting seeing what those guys come up with together. And then Alan's story was um, the politics one kind of in the middle. And it did read a little bit different. There was a, certainly a different tone to what it wasn't as, as rich as, as obviously when they were writing together. <sighs> Jeff Anderson's art on that story never clicked with me that much. Um, I think it was the laser blasts and I didn't like sort of dread being sh- all shot up and then... yeah. It was sort of casually waved away in one <laughs> little speech bubble. I think it could have been done a little bit better. Um, but his artwork later on in um, Better the Devil You Know is incredible. Um, but, yeah, so we, we get those. And then we get America, obviously, which, you know, is my very favourite story of all time. Um, yes. But that Better the Devil You Know, is phenomenal um such a good story I, I read that a lot many many years ago and when i reread it again today my heart was pounded again it was so good um and then it, it bleeds in it twilight's last gleam and then that was just the tone was a, it's a good story um but it read a lot like you could tell it was it was Garth Ennis sort of trying to to lay out his dread credentials a bit. There was loads and loads of quotes from previous stories, and and it was a bit like a checklist of look, I know me stuff. Yes, <laughs> and he says himself on the introduction, doesn't he? That that uh, on the introduction of the other America book, it, it was the early days, and you're bound to do that. But it was just a bit a bit jarring. But just from a, a reader's um, standpoint, seeing that breadth of dread history, I just found it fascinating. You know, the, the different writers in that loved it. So, Pete, here's the question about this book Who's it for, would you say? Um, why have Rebellion bought out a new line of essentials? I think <laughs> it's a good question. I think the timing is a, a little bit off with this, isn't it? Bringing the, these two books out so close together but just going to the essential collection at the minute i think it may be for the american readers it may be for the more casual readers but i'm pleased they're doing it (laughs) sorry i I was just going to say i just i really do miss the hachette collection because that was fantastic way of uh, packaging together those themes and and i guess that's a way for rebellion doing that my feeling was that, like yourself, that I thought this was probably for American conventions because it's a nice slim volume that they can hand to somebody. It's all colour artwork, which, of course, yeah. you know, we know the Americans particularly prefer. And I guess with their publishing, because, again, with Rebellion, their publishing schedules are often so far in advance um, I think they probably thought they would be at some conventions this year and able to put this book <laughs> in people's hands. But, of course, sadly, that's not happened. And I think I think that the actual publication date was delayed anyway by COVID. Um, I yeah. suspect it was supposed to be out earlier in the year. Mm. And what a terrific bunch of stories to, to put in the hands of new readers. There really are some of the cream of the crop. Um, interesting that you talked about colour in there because... I feel um, when it was marketed, there was a lot made about John Higgins, maybe he's reworking on some of his colouring, but on closer inspection, I believe it's Sally Hurst that's done the lion's share of this. And I'm just a little bit... It says co-colourist Sally Jean Hurst, and obviously we know that that Sally is um, John's partner and, you know, that... The, the work very much together but I would have liked to have seen her name being you know made more apparent in the the marketing of the book right she's, she's a, a good lass <laughs> and is that on the you story know, revolution well yes um all of the old black and white ones and and I find it um 
Of it course, is a, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm, yes, I'm missing the point. They were originally, those yes. first two were originally in black and white, weren't they? Yeah, and I guess where I'm a, a little bit disappointed is what I always loved about John's work was the vibrant colours. Um, his, his palette was always like eye-meltingly vibrant. I was lucky enough to go to that um, the museum, the V&E Museum in Liverpool when it had the uh, there was a John Higgins festival on <laughs> exhibition. Sorry, um, and I got to see lots of the you know the um, it, lots of his artwork in the flesh and my goodness it's so bright and beautiful and i just felt like the the palette that they used on this was a bit more muted and a bit uh it's obviously digital art yes i thought the colors may have popped a bit more you, you keep getting um the center spreads which were obviously painted by john back in the day um and then it kind of goes into this the story pages, the and the colours are just a little bit more muted than than those splash pages and and the covers that he did. And it, I would have just loved to have seen John or Sally, whoever it was, just try and dial up that palette to match uh, John's vibrant style. It's still great though. I'm looking at the last page of Revolution, which then goes immediately into the cover for Prog 533, the Democracy Isn't Working cover from John Higgins. Yeah. And you can see the difference in the colouring, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So lots of beautiful oranges and things, wasn't it, from from Mr Higgins? Though that one's more blue, now I've found it. But the rest of his pages... um, and you know the uh, the guy's story that he wrote in in the Dread Annual, the the bad guy's story. Oh yes, that we did. Beauties. Yes, um, that is evokes um, John Higgins's painterly style to me, and it would have just been nice to have seen that replicated here. Right, I think I did that on Space Spinner two thousand with Conrad on one of the annuals. Yeah. Yes, I listened to that one. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about colouring, Pete, the next Essentials volume I think is due out in January and it's the Apocalypse War. Yes, I've seen this. I'm lucky enough to have a little sneaky peek. Ah, so you can answer the question. Have they coloured it? Yes, I can. Yes. Ah, right. Um, so it contains, I hope I'm not knocking any embargoes up here um, it contains Black Mania and the Apocalypse War and they are recoloured by I've wrote this down somewhere Charlie Critchoff okay now I'm wondering if this wasn't there a, a collection came out a few years ago of the Apocalypse War that was all cut I've got, I can see it from here the IDW hardback the Apocalypse War which yes, was coloured that one. And so that sort of answers my question. I think this probably is for the convention audience, particularly possibly for the North American convention audience, to be able to hand them slim paperback yep. volumes of Dread all in colour. Ah, oh, right, OK. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Let's hope we get some muty ones. Yeah. <laughs> so 1999 uh, is the cost from the 2000 AD store. And I must confess, I've got, you know, as I say, I've got a hard copy in front of me. How many times have you bought America, Pete? <laughs> oh, it must be five or six, not yeah. including in the progs. In fact, more, because there's been reprints in <laughs> Best of uh, 2000 ED Weekly. And the <laughs> it's, but it, it still never loses its shine for us. What's, what's lovely, you mentioned... Um, the Space Spinner podcast, and it's great that uh, Conrad's up to. He started doing the magazine now, hasn't he? And it's lovely the big hearing, Meg, yes, yeah, and it's lovely hearing him gush about this story and the time of recording. The guys on the main Space Spinner podcast are right in the democracy mix, yes, aren't they? So it's right at the, the their referendum. Um, so this is quite a timely podcast in, in many ways. Yeah. Yes, I would buy it and buy it again. The thing is, we don't see enough of 
the mighty Mr. Wagner these days, understandably, but he's obviously got a plan for America, America Beanie. Right. <laughs> well, yes, of course. As we write, as we record, uh, back in the magazine. Yes. Um, so on the the rare occasions when John's making an appearance, you know, America's there sort of front and centre and she certainly is in, in this story and and it's the ghosts of the Bennett Beanie, isn't he, in it that's taking place in Bennett Beanie block. It is, yes. And it's quite a cliffhanger at the moment, isn't it? At the time of recording. Um but I'm gonna spoil it a little for you if that's all right, Eamon. Okay. <laughs> It's coming out in December. <laughs> yes. Um, so at the time of recording, um, Amy's just been involved in quite a big explosion. She does have some kind of lucid sort of chat with her own mother um, oh. in the next magazine and gets quite sort of badly injured herself, touch and go moments. Um, but it's our determination to go on and the, she's still got lots to do she's got lots to change and she, but she's going to do it the right way um, and that's where that story ends and it's like brilliant <laughs> and it's so John has definitely got a plan for her so let's hope he, he sticks around to, to pay it off Excellent. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so the, the the whole point of that ramble, sorry, was yes, I'll keep buying America <laughs> um, trades because it's an important star uh, story for a, an important character that that's going to keep evolving, isn't it? So when you know the the daughter of America Jara um, eventually becomes chief judge and puts democracy in place the right way and everything's all lovely in Dred's world and we'll get this big fat volume 2,000 pages long of, <laughs> that'll include America and democracy now and all of those things <laughs> The and complete America <laughs> Yes With an introduction by Pete Wells <laughs> yeah, but it'll be <laughs> from the <laughs> Elster <laughs> the Elster block. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hope that you know. Obviously, we get an effective vaccine, and that some form of conventions happen again. And two thousand AD get to put this uh, these essentials in people's hands before too long, eh? Let's um, go. <laughs> Let's turn you to what is possibly then the more interesting of the two recent releases. Um, I suspect this was the one that was planned to come out at this time of the year, not earlier. We have got the hardback America Lost and Found, the rediscovered scripts by John Wagner and Connie McNeil. Now, have you gone for hard copy in this one or are you digital as well? Hard copy of this one. I'm right. quite annoyed with myself because it... It popped up in my feed and it said it was like limited edition. And um, I've got some bad habits as a when I was into three year toys that uh, All right, yes. things used to pop up and you used to dive on the site and grab them straight away. So I dived straight onto the 2000 AD web shop and ordered it and was happy. And then I'd literally pressed confirm and then I got a, an email off. Um, I think it was Mick Ramsey, one of the lovely fans, who was saying, oh, I've been in touch with John, and he's going to um, send out signed copies of this. Do you want one, Pete? And I was like, oh, no, I've just bought it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got my unsigned copy sitting here. Oh, well, if anybody's listening to this uh, in the first week of December when this podcast comes out, there is a signed copy of the hardback signed by John Wagner going to be in my charity raffle. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> check the Facebook page for details. Right, so, Pete, this is a lovely hardback, first of all. Oh, it looks a bit like a Christmas annual um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, presentation and size. It got an introduction by Garth Ennis and by John Wagner in which John details some of the history of the, the scripts of uh, America and why they have been lost and now found. So tell us, I mean, what's the history of, about the scripts? How did they come back to public view? I'm not 
two up on this, Eamon. I believe um, we all know that Dale Jackson owns all of the artwork for yes. America. The lucky sod. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I believe he had a few of these scripts, didn't he? He did, yes. And I think I think Colin McNeil had asked him to donate one. Was it to the University of Dundee who do comics? Yes. I had Philip Bourne on. So I think he'd asked yeah. him to donate it to the University of Dundee. Because as John's introduction says, his old Amstrad, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think you don't you didn't have many backups on those things, did you? So anyway, they've come back to us. The scripts have come back to us, or at least most of the script has come back to us, hasn't it? Because there are some missing bits. Yeah, which is a shame, isn't it? It's a bit jarring, those ones that are, that are not there. We've got the first, or rather the second part, which became the second episode, is missing. And then episode six, I think, is missing. Yeah. And John has done his best to recreate them. Uh, with a sort of synopsis um, and some extracts of the artwork to show the action. Yeah, I would have loved to have read episode six as well. Yeah, but because it's it's a real that's the money shot, isn't it? And we don't get it. <laughs> so, process of creating these comic masterpieces is always fascinating. Oh, it is. And we get a glimpse into John Wagner's process, particularly in this book. Now, there's always, whenever anybody talks about John Wagner dread script, they always say the same two words in that they describe a panel description from John Wagner as dread grim. But actually, (laughs) there's much more to it than that, I found, from reading these. Yeah. Um, I could read his writing just all day it's just effortlessly cool isn't it and you know evocative and it's just brilliant <laughs> um, he is the voice of dread isn't he he is yes, yes. <laughs> um, what struck me with this was I know we're talking about John but just hats off to Colin McNeil because it looks so much harder than than you would think, doesn't it? it <laughs> when does, you just yes. see a lot of flat words on a page and then you see what Colin's done with them, it's just incredible. Uh, and that, that's what kept blowing me away. And from a, an editor's point of view, although it was really fascinating to read this, it is kind of flat, isn't it? And it's not like reading a book because it doesn't flow quite right. It's it's like the people that create these comics have just got such fantastic um, foresight and imagination. Because I would, when you read it, it's it's great. It's, but then when you see the finished product on the page, it's amazing again. So, as an editorial choice here, Pete, which is that they've put John's words in the first half of the book and then the second half of the book is the reprint of america again now you could have seen an editorial choice for instance that would have put a page of script against the page of artwork because i found myself a bit like yourself you know wondering what colin had had to to create from John's words. Yes. And I found myself flicking backwards and forwards the whole time. <laughs> well, I wanted... well, another sort of um, plus about having so many copies of America is that I actually yeah. <laughs> sat with two books side by side, and that was a really nice way to do it. <laughs> but you're right, yeah, editorially, I would have liked to have seen that, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a be, choice. Um, I, we don't. You know, we don't quite understand some of the editorial choices that you have to make in these books. But then but, when, yeah. you look, when you look as well, like John, he, he said himself, didn't he? He hasn't broken it down page by page as such. He said kind of pages two to five. But, but yeah, you could have had that and then you could have had like those three pages. You're right. I know um, I'm a big fan of um, From Hell by Alan Moore yeah. and Eddie Campbell. And that's got the scripts in the back, which are like the complete opposite of John's scripts, which are very verbose and um, describe absolutely every detail to minutia. 
and that's a really difficult read because the book's incredibly thick anyway. <laughs> have you ever read it, Eamon? I have, yes, I have read that. And yes, oh, I've also did, read... Yeah, did you do one of these on it? No, we haven't done From Hell on the podcast, if anybody's interested. Oh, that oh. could be Pete Wells' seventh <laughs> seventh appearance. Seventh appearance. <laughs> uh, but I've also read Alan Moore's, like, you know, script for the first page of Watchmen, which, as you say, his, you know, his script for a page is like a chapter of a book. Um, yeah. And John is at the other end in that he, you know, um, he is fairly... I mean, I'm almost, almost going to say the cliche, but he is he is much leaner in his writing and leaves much more. You can see in his writing where he's actually saying to Colin, you know, depiction of the city, up to you, something like that, isn't yep. it? Uh, <laughs> um, I know. What I found really interesting with it as well is there are a few small changes as well. So there's lots of changes in dialogue, and I know that now... John does do a rewrite. I'm sure I've heard him say that at conventions. So he'll get the script, he'll do the script, then he'll get the art, and then he might have a final sort of go through and then change the odd thing. And there's quite a few places in this where the dialogue doesn't match what's on the script. Yeah. And I wonder if that is that the letterer, is that the editor, is that John himself? I find that really interesting. And there were a few bits that were missing. That, that I guess Colin couldn't do for space reasons or that just didn't match the mood or whatever. Um, and some of them really broke my heart when I, I read the description in, in John's um, script and then and it wasn't in, in the picture. The most important one for me was um, the right at the end. I'm guessing everybody's read America a thousand times now. Yes. Um, if you haven't, <laughs> stop listening now. Um, <laughs> when America gets shot... It's she's John's been quite careful to see it's a close up shot of America. The bullet goes through the American flag and into her. And I think you might have said that the Statue of Liberty is there in the background as well. And it was it just sounded like super iconic. And it was a one that, that Colin, for one reason or another, it's, it's not that you know, it doesn't go through the flag, it's not apparent. And I think that would have been a a beautiful image. I mean, we get Dread standing all over the flag at the start, so yeah. <laughs> don't want to labour the point, but uh, I just think that would have been cool. And there was a few things like that. There were a few quirky things that made us laugh, but there was a bit Dread's interrogation of Power Bennett in the hospital. And at one point, John said, Dread looks at his watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then says, I'm not sure if he would have a watch. Um, yes. Think of some issue or passage of time. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah. but that makes us chuckle as well. It's like, um, you know, we've both spoken to John several times and he doesn't seem to have that much of an interest in, in his characters, in his backstory as much on the surface. And we know that um, when good old um, Logan was around, he was like John's go-to for... He was in um, encyclopedia. Like, yeah. yeah. But then I think when you read this script, you can see that uh, he does have quite an eye on the ball, I think. he. I mean, I know he'll have done his research and stuff, but he'll see the Statue of Judgment. You might want to go to Titan Book this. And um, I was surprised. There was one point where he was describing America herself, and he'd said she needs to be um, Puerto Rican or something but not look like established comic characters, I'm thinking. And then there was two character names, Eve and somebody else. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, I don't even know who he's talking about there. So he must have, like, I think, a bigger knowledge of comics than he lets on. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> which, which, I mean, he's got to, because he's obviously the top of his game. But I just I found that interesting, that, that you got some of... John's um, deep knowledge in there that he would possibly claim that he hasn't got if he was speaking to him face to face. And I've just been listening to Mike Mulcher do a deep dive on the Thrillcast um, about Judge Dread Origins. And one of the things he said 
about John was he described him as a very instinctive writer who doesn't necessarily have the whole thing plotted out when he starts writing. But it occurs to me, I mean, it's pretty obvious, I suppose, but America, the structure of America, (laughs) because of how it starts, John knew where he was going with this one, didn't he? He did, but he even saw at the start in the that I found that really interesting. He does say to Colin, I'm not quite sure how we're gonna get here. Right. But you'll know by the time you start the draw. So it's interesting. I guess they must get part one of the script or whatever and part in advance so they can start doing the character designs and stuff like that. Like I think it, it just opens your eyes, doesn't it, to to what a, a daunting and, and huge task making every single story must be. There must be so much time needed for character designs and and all of it, so, yes. sort of plotting and everything. Um, and you get, you know, this, the fandom at the moment's quite negative, and you think, come on, everybody, like, look at the blood, sweat and tears that goes into creating these things that you're just happy to, to hand wave away and, and be snide about every every other week. But something like this shows you the kind of the craft that goes into it. But I did find that, just going back to that original point, that was really interesting um, where, where John's saying, I don't know how we're going to get here will do by the time you come to draw it, but that's <laughs> that's where we're going to be. And you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be terrified. I, I think, you know, in my day job, I'm a teacher. So I kind of know what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. <laughs> and I'll obviously deviate from my course depending on things that happen or needs of pupils or, or things that need to happen. But... In my profession, I'm trained to like to plan, whereas here you've got John saying, "Well, we'll get there." Thousands of people are going to read this. Yes, that's right. It's only going to be the launch of the biggest sort of like you know new Judge Dread magazine since uh, 2008 started. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we know he was doing it on his Amstrad word processor. He's got. He describes the yellowed pages that came back to him. Some of them written on with editorial notes or his own notes in pen. So, Pete, did you pick up on any other interesting snippets from uh, either John's scripts or the way um, Collins sort of uh, created them on the page? Yeah, I did. Um, I think what what really struck us was the the sort of 50-50 collaborative nature of things. John, very un-John-like, absolutely gushes about um, Colin's oppressive like depiction of Mega City 1. And th- there's a bit where it's, it's quite an iconic image where America's with Bennett and they're at that um, wire mesh fence and oh, you've got yes. judges yes. kind of. And, uh, you know, it's, it's brilliant how... Um, how Collins done, I think John had said he hadn't mentioned the wire fences but they added so much um, the the cinematic flair that, that Colin brings to things like you've got a language there from John clip though it is where he is sort of suggesting shots and things but there's a beautiful push in near the start where America's getting ready to sing and there's a poster of Bennett Beanie on the wall and and the sort of camera moves in and she's putting that our makeup on and you get Bennett's face sort of so clearly and I, I just thought hats off to to Colin for that. I, I was really um, I was struck by how often Colin deviated and and it, and it worked so John's asked for something quite specifically and it's not there and you must have to have like balls of steel to, to do that but but I guess that's what what works isn't it two yeah. excellent yeah. creators at the, at the top of the game um, so that that's what really struck me and as I said just how bloody hard it is like taking those flat wonderful words on the on the page and turning them in the 
this thing of beauties is just, just great, fantastic work. The, the bit that made us outraged was uh, John Wagner describing um, Ron Smith, or Smithy as he called him, his depiction of the Statue of Judgment as being a bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir? It's lovely. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, that, that was the thing that, that really struck us, was that um, how much Colin brings to things. And it's things like we've, we've talked about this in, in other um, podcasts, me and you, is the colour palette sort of changing for different things. Like, that's all Colin, is it? That's, that's not... Wagner it's not scene. in the script, no. Yeah, I want these bits to be really bright. It's a happy time, blah, blah, blah. Um, these bits are going to be really dark. It's just like, that's Colin. That's all Colin. Just fabulous. Two yeah. creators at the top of the game. And I love uh, how we, it was really interesting when we were talking about um, this is launching the magazine, um, so no pressure. And John admits at the start like dread's not in it for the yes. first two episodes so the way he fixed that was those cameos and then those cameos have become like the most iconic iconic yes pages ever yeah you even have Carl Urban reading out the dialogue from yeah. them at um, <laughs> conventions I'm just looking at John's introduction to episode three where actually you're right and I think I'm wrong because he says about he just likes to let it develop and see where it goes with the story yeah. development. And he says ah. he, he says one of the only time it's let him down was the final chapter of A History of Violence that it took him a year to actually work out how to finish it. <laughs> so, yes, some of it he is just making up as he goes along, which, as you say, is even more daunting for you and me. Uh, when you've got the success of this new magazine venture riding on it, plus well, everything it was going to do for creator rights and everything. We do know where it has let him down in the past, though, as well, and that's been, and he has admitted it, his handling of Judge Death. Yes. You know, when he started writing My Name is Death with Fraser Urban, that started off horrifically, like real scary death back to his scary best and before he knew it and John said it didn't he before he knew it like deaths uh, there was a little man with a, a dog's body and deaths yeah. in a boxing ring with big shorts on and it's like he said sometimes the characters kind of take over and it goes in directions that he didn't expect or indeed didn't want and I think that's uh, <laughs> so he is he's, he's a, a very wonderful Wonderful writer, like to have that confidence is, is just amazing. So we've mentioned the creation of the magazine. Let's just quickly mark thirty and thirty years of the Judge Dread magazine. The thirtieth anniversary issue sold out on its first printing recently. Um, I think they had all the editors of the magazine on the Thrillcast with Michael Mulcher, and of course, America is the story that really. <laughs> define the initial success of the magazine if america hadn't succeeded would we still have a, a magazine 30 years later do you think <laughs> i don't think we would the launch of the magazine was incredibly strong wasn't it yeah. um when you look back at the the talent on offer and the stories um you had that young death which was great this maybe it's the start of death's comedic turn but the best work ever from Peter Doherty, I think, and really brilliant writing from John. We had Cam Kennedy in there, Jim Beakey. Um, we had two soon, unfortunately, but like the return of Chopper. And for me, at that time in my life, um, especially as, as that was early 90s, so the, the prog started to sort of lose its way a little. And the Meg, for me, was the stronger of, of the two. And I loved how they went hand in hand. And I know we did uh, the controversial Judgment Day episode. Yeah. Um, but I loved it when the magazine was running that story side by side with uh, with the prog, and we were getting stories from different perspectives. And I think that's what I would love to see the magazine be. And I think it's 
its most popular stories are those, or its most successful stories are those dread world stories that that's that sort of um, mesh into what's happening now. Um, I would love to see it. I know this is a bit like asking for the moon on a stick, but I would like to see the Meg being like a total judge dread. Not every issue, but a big longer form story would be wonderful. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think that's just me being greedy. Um, it, it's definitely had its ups and downs across the years, but um, I'm so happy that we have it. Yeah. I think it's great. Well, congratulations to them for 30 years and for selling out the uh, 30th anniversary yeah. issue. Um, and while we're talking about ups and downs, uh, <laughs> I've talked about a lot of stuff you like, Pete. This year, 2020, has had a couple of downs along the way. First of all, in the prog, we've had a, a talking horse, Pete. Um, not your oh, favourite. No, at least we've come away from rogue judge factions. Yes, so hiding that's, in that's the walls. But the talking horses, please. Dread even said it in the first episode. Why is it always horses? And <laughs> I, read, I read that and spat me tea out laughing because I thought, you're not wrong. We still haven't got the explanation for that mythical black horse that's come up and saved Dred's backside a few times, and I'm not having it. <laughs> like, the reason why America is so good, and, and Dred's a fantastic creation, and it can lend itself to all different genres of stories, but the reason why America is a favourite for me um, is because it's grounded and it's realistic and there's very little supernatural elements or space aliens or, you know, lasers, blasters or anything like that. Um, and there's certainly no bloody talking horses in it. <laughs> <laughs> and if there was one, we would find out why it was there. <laughs> You're also a well-known fan of musical episodes um, in comics, Pete. <laughs> what did you make of the musical, complete musical episode of Lawless in the 30th Meg? Well, I read it and I was like, it was a slog. But then, to Dan Abnett's credit, and I absolutely adore him for it, he recorded it and put it on SoundCloud, didn't he? He does, yes, and he has, what yeah. A- joy it was now the reason why i think musical comics haven't appealed to us um is because they were mainly in vogue sort of earlier on in in dread's lifetime and and other stories lifetimes so you had these creators writing these stories with songs that were sort of all the songs that young readers like myself didn't know, so it didn't make a lot of sense. So that's why I dislike the the musical comic story so much. Then once you you figured out which song it's meant to be, all right, I, I get that now. But when it's not really explicit what song it is, it's just a slog to read. So hats off to Dan for recording that album because it was a hoot. And a joy to read, so that that was it was good. I like okay. that. <laughs> it's forgiven. Okay, <laughs> so let's go back to America. We've got um, in front of us two different versions or two different collections, and they're both priced the same. I see in the two thousand ED store nineteen ninety nine for both of them. Uh, although I noticed that my hardback is does as it say it, it is a limited edition of 1200 copies so I don't know what happens after that does it go to a different cover or does it go paperback no, I think it was called paperback do you think probably okay so we we probably know the answer to this next question Pete which of the two are you going to recommend to 2000 AD fans Oh, it, it, it's re- it is a hard question because getting John's thoughts is just wonderful. Um, seeing Colin's interpretation of, of John's amazing writing is exhilarating um, and gives you 
a newfound appreciation of, of everything 2000 AD. But then looking at the other collection, it's got some of my favourite stories of all time in it as well. And you, you have that develop that character development that, <laughs> that that you wouldn't know. And and I'll I'll listen to to you and Stacey Whittle, me me little wife. Um <laughs> And you talk about the pit. I've never forgiven you for it. Uh, talking about the pit, that's right. And you just went off on a little rant about America. Um, <laughs> and she alluded that, you know, she didn't really like it. She, she's given it to other people and they don't like it. So I know that it's a challenging story for people who don't know the character and don't know the world. So that other, the essential collection, like, wow. What a a great um, what a great collection to give to somebody, especially when you see Dread going from um, orchestrating the, um, the the anti democracy march response or the pro democracy march violence to then leading a referendum by the end of that book. Yeah, that's some bloody good character development there. But then you've got John Wagner's beautiful scripts in this. So I'm afraid you would have to buy both, Eamon, and it's so that you could sit with the scripts and read the other one. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so there you have to buy both. That's the definitive answer, yeah. Or new readers, <laughs> point them at the essentials, and somebody yes. who's read America already, point them at the script book. Definitely. Pete, we didn't have the Grail Page game when you were on episode two. It was something we came up with later. Um, <laughs> if we offered you, you now, obviously, say Dale Jackson's a very lucky man. He owns all the America artwork. Uh, I think there was a cover for one of the collected editions that Colin McNeil yeah. did that John Wagner has, because I saw that at the the Cartoon Museum in London in the exhibition. But anyway. I'm sure we couldn't afford to buy any of this artwork off Dale and he wouldn't give it up. But if we could, what would be your grail page from America? Uh, now, I'm sure we did do this before because... I asked you later on. All right. So, yes, so you know that I'm extremely fond of, I think it's page four of episode two, where it's the little boy that's dropped his ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> And Dread is just giving them the death stare. Yes. Um, and I love that page. That sums up. I'm looking at it now. It's got yellow elbow pads, so I can't cope with that. And knee pads. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but that is absolutely magnificent. That sums up Dread's world. I love it. And I guess being a teacher myself, I have been guilty of that... Um, in my younger days, certainly that don't smile ill Christmas mantra that the teachers get told to right. do or absolutely lamb blasting some poor child very early on in, in the year to give everybody a fright to think, oh, shit, I'm never going to do anything wrong. And then you have a much nicer year <laughs> as a result. So it's like, give me the child at, at five and I'll give you a... <laughs> a model a model citizen that really speaks to me but I think that opening page is just America page one where do I stand I'll tell you where I stand yeah okay that's granted Pete and they would have to have you'd have to have the the, the lettering on oh you'd have to you have know, the lettering often on it you would, You've you've got it, haven't you? Yeah. Um, You'd want the lettering overlay on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, it would be. That would be that. Okay. <laughs> we should grant you that and post it in the Grail Page Gallery. Pete, thank you so much for doing these two hold uh, on. quickies. Now, hold on. Wait. Now wait. 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 A what, minute. what? What? You haven't. Have you said yours? Well, I, it's a good question because those are the two obvious ones. I think if you're having page one, I'd have page two where the camera pulls back and yeah. you get the Statue of Judgment and you get uh, somebody's body beneath the uh, flag of America, you know, something like that. But actually, also, while you, th while you mention it, some of the scenes of America and Beanie 
sitting in the park or on the swings. Oh, yeah. The lighting and the colouring on those from Colin McNeil is beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, so it's, a, might... it's a hovin, it's a hovin movie, isn't it? Yes. So it's it, it, it's like Greece, isn't it? I, I think it, <laughs> they should have had um, little Bennett singing, "Amy, can't you see I'm in misery?" Oh no! Don't you start, oh, Pete. No. <laughs> oh no! I've been infected. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's all right. So, Pete. Um, I'm going to talk about the amazing um, disappearing knickers of, of America Beanie, though. Yes. Cheap in this cast. I don't get it. That page where um, they've just made out, <laughs> and then she's sitting on the bed, and third panel, she's facing them, obviously with a pair of knickers on, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and then the next panel, they're gone. Um, it's the gone, the amazing disappearing niggers of, of America. They're future <laughs> it's knickers. All the stuff, the stuff. They're future <laughs> niggers that just work on the front. Hollow niggers. Yes. So yes, because yes, <laughs> yeah, emphatically yes, niggers. Um, definitely. Oh yes, <laughs> but what a brilliant connection! And what I loved about it is. Um, where it's dreaded is hardest, most cynical, and most unlikable. He's still written with brains and intelligence, and there is a heart there somewhere. You know, he puts that judge on report that fires when he, he shouldn't yes. have fired. And I just love it, and I, and I worry that dreading the prog at the moment is being a bit of a, a blunt instrument too often and needs we're talking about the man who's written the approved text at the academy of law and dreads comportment um, dreads comportment and he's led on mutant reform and he's led on democratic reform and there's a, a brain and a heart in there somewhere and it's took decades and decades to to come out and I want to I want to see that a little bit more in the in the prog at the minute. I'm enjoying lots of the stories. Don't get us wrong, but I think some writers at the moment are writing them a bit too too much of a blunt instrument and too much of a thug. And we don't want to go back. There was a few stories in the '90s where you had that brilliant bury my knee at wounded heart story. I don't oh, know if yes. you recall that. Even. I love it. I love that story. So yeah, you saw dreads softer side come through and then a, a few more writers then suddenly had dread blumming taking his helmet off for a, a blind girl to be able to read his face and he pulled some other woman off a life support machine so she could die and you were thinking whoa where's all this come from um and that was when like he's notoriously hard to write dread isn't he and that was right as taking it i think a, a little step from John and, and going too far. And I just feel at the moment, at times, we're in that territory, but in the opposite direction. In the other direction, where, too, too grim and too brutal. Yeah. And too much, as you say, the blunt instrument. <laughs> okay. Splendid stuff, Pete. Talking about two new collections of our favourite Dread story. Um, certainly, you know, possibly the most famous Judge Dread story, I should think. And May rightly not. so. Rightly so. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. I'll have to apologise to Stacey now. <laughs> um, Pete, guest projects. What's new with the Sensory Stories podcast? Well, I've started season two of that. I've just released a one. Um, so for people who don't know who I am, I'm a, a sensory stories or a writer, so I'm a teacher, a special needs teacher, and I write um, stories for children with, with disabilities and grown-ups, and I've probably said it on this podcast before because it's been an extremely long project, but hopefully the start of next year um, we'll see the publication of a really exciting project which is kind of me dream project which is going to be my stories professionally animated and available all over the world to to children and adults with special needs so loads and loads and loads of me time's been taken up with that because i'm writing a lot of 
um, support and materials around that. But I'm still fitting in me me podcast where I can. And I was thrilled. The one I've just um, released is a a story called Lolly. You would like it, Eamon. Um, it's right. <laughs> it's called Lolly Ladybirds Got Spots. And it's about a ladybird that goes to the doctors because she's got spots and she's worried about them. (laughs) And when she, of course, of course, and then when she gets there, she sees all the different creatures in the the little mini beasts in the 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 waiting room, and there's like a snail that's got no get up and go, and there's a wasp that's angry all the time, and there's a woodlouse that when he gets frightened curls up into a ball. Um, it's all these little mini beasts that um, are a lot like the children that I teach. Ones that can't stop eating, ones that can't stop making noise, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the the story, the doctor calls them all into the office and says, there's nothing wrong with you, lot. it's just the way you are, like you're fine. And it, it kind of a, it was a lovely metaphor for, for different needs and, and differences in people. So I, I did that as a... I wrote that for a magazine and then I did a little podcast on it, but I was delighted that someone who I respect a lot, a lady called Mary Farmer, who wrote a book on story massage for people with special needs, got in touch and she said she really liked it and could she do a massage story about it? So I got to watch on YouTube with thousands of other people as, as this practitioner who I really look up to was doing one of my stories on a on a little show and that was lovely and I'm going to write something for her next book so I'm quite pleased about that so it's all good at the minute um, I just can't wait till I can show people what, what it's going to look like because things are looking amazing Fantastic, so search for Pete Wells Century Stories in, in your podcast app and you'll find it and I'll link to it in the show notes as ever Pete and, and we look a website, forward to the big a, a website called sensorystoriespodcast.com that's got lots of them on there. And and it's Fantastic. something that I, I always see, uh, sorry, Eamon, I know I like to talk a lot. Dead interesting reading this John Wagner stuff because you all know that I'm an unashamed fanboy of John. Um, but I always, in my work, in my writing, I have to be as brief as possible. I'm dealing with children and adults who don't understand spoken language so much. Certainly not big, verbose, um, wordy sentences. So if I if I write something like um, Jack and the Beanstalk or something, you literally have to distill it down to its its tiniest parts. Um, and I always thank John Wagner for that because he, in 2000 AD in general, because that that's what 2000 AD does so well. It distills stories down to its important parts. And uh, if ever I get, I've been interviewed a few times and things and asked who me writing influences and heroes are, and I always say there's a man called John Wagner who can distill something down to its absolute bare minimum and this script book for me was like a big sort of validation of that and made us very happy so there we go (laughs) oh fantastic pete so there we go taking the brevity and the uh, instinctive nature of john wagner's writing and uh, putting it to good use to help other people yes you're a great man (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Will you tell me why? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pete, thanks for giving up your time this Sunday evening. Fingers crossed that democracy is working, and uh, when it comes out, we hopefully we've had a better result. So it's great stuff. And, yeah, maybe we're going to have to pencil you in for From Hell. Oh, yes, please. That would be great. <laughs> That'll be a three-hour spectacular. Okay, I'll set aside some more time for that one. It is a big read as well. Fabulous. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the details, including links to Pete's website at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, or email mcbcpodcast@gmail.com. Uh, Circuit Breaker is the name of the music that starts and ends each episode. That's by Robodub on the free music <laughs> archive. 
how apt. I know, yes, we're having a circuit break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks to Brian from the British Invaders podcast for hosting the files and for technical support. And that's it, Pete. Until next time when we're passing judgment on another great book. It's goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from the other me. 